0: Okay, what up? And welcome in. This is on Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojack and Luke Smith. We're recording this on Monday night fresh off a Notre Dame win over Boston College by a score of 45 to 31, although I don't think that score truly reflects how dominant Notre Dame was in this matchup. They did still cover though. So the cliché good teams win, a great teams cover holds true in this case. Brian Kelly got his 100th win, and Ian Book continued to silence his critics, so you can expect us to have a lot of fun with that. And uh, we also got the chance to talk with Chris Fink, former Notre Dame walk-on turned scholarship player who earned a starting job and was eventually named captain, so it was really cool to hear about his experience, and he provides some insight on this year's team as well. Uh, So it was a really fun interview and great to have him on. One programming note, we won't be doing a game preview Friday, obviously, as Notre Dame is on a bye this week, but we will release a preview for the North Carolina game next Tuesday. Um, It might do a recruiting update in that one as well. Now, Smith, you said before we started recording that on Saturday you had one of your better viewing experiences of the season. So tell me what went down.
1: I really did. And uh, to paint the picture for you a little bit, a couple blocks from where I live on Division Street here in Chicago, there's four or five bars, and they have shut down the street the last, I guess, three months or so. And on Saturdays, they show Notre Dame game on a big screen in the middle of the, the street. And the way the game started, um, I was not predicting to have such a favorable viewing experience. I was sitting with some of my high school friends, and most of them are, for lack of a better term, jackasses when it comes to Notre Dame games, <laughs> and BC goes down and takes the lead, and they start cheering. At which point, I said, I'm going to have to leave you guys, and I did. Um, thankfully, there were some Notre Dame people sitting on the other side of the street, and the way it was structured... Was they were within a tent. Um, and it was kind of funny because the TVs were not synced up. One was a little bit ahead, and the one that was a little bit ahead was on the other side of us. And on the other side of us were some of our other good friends. And so I could hear what was happening before the play, essentially. And eventually it got to the point. Um, where I could hear old Greg just yelling, hey, Smith, you hear that? That's an Irish touchdown. And 30 seconds later, we would score. So I, w- I knew what was coming. Didn't really matter because the game was not in doubt after about halfway through the second quarter. Um, and then we ended up staying there the whole game outside, just drinking the entire time and uh, doing a lot of shots. So <laughs> it was a great Irish win. Always great when they cover. And uh, it felt really good to move on to eight and now. How about yourself?
0: Yeah. Um, Not nearly as fun as yours is at work again, but it felt like way more stressful than it needed to be, at least in the beginning, even in the second half when it became clear, like Notre Dame was going to win. It still felt like frustrating um, because every time Notre Dame had an opportunity to truly pull away and basically leave no doubt, it felt like there was always some sort of like fumble or some sort of miscue. But I think that maybe that's just because I'm way too emotionally invested in every single game. And I should probably just chill out because that game, like when you take a step back and you rewatch it, it truly was never in doubt. So maybe I just need to chill.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just a consistent theme. You being nervous Nelly, Mrs. Doubtfire over there, just thinking the worst, the sky's falling. That's pretty typical of me, yeah. Understandable, given our, you know, fan history, but different team. But yeah, uh, it was definitely an auspicious start to that game, but I kind of realized them going down and scoring on the first drive which meant they had a script, and Jerkovic also threw a duck on his first touchdown. Should have been picked, um, and that was a sign of things to come because he kind of sucked ass all day. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, he wasn't that bad. I, I'll give him credit. He definitely came out firing. He came out, looked good. Apparently, he said after the game that he suffered a slightly separated shoulder um, in the Clemson game on that, I think it was the sack he took on that safety, right? He Something got drilled. Like yeah. Yeah, so... He's a tough dude. That third and 15 play, when he rolled out to the left and then found a guy downfield uh, for a big chunk, I was just thinking, like, oh, God. Like, are we really about to do this? But then, uh, water found its level. I think he finished 18 of 40. Yeah, gross. He got to pad his stats a little bit, too, at the end when Notre Dame brought in their backups. And, and uh, yeah, they let up another touchdown drive. But, overall, the main storyline here is that anyone who said – Phil Dracovic was a better quarterback than Ian Book. It, was, it should have already been put to bed after the Clemson game. Now it's official, so we can just get rid of that for good.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, people were still saying that to me even after the first drive of the game. And I literally said, you're a moron if you believe that. <laughs> um, And you're just so not credible if that was your point. Um, There's a reason guys play and other guys don't. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But we don't need to belabor it any further because – us doing that, I mean, really just shows kind of what a poor evaluation I've had of his talent because he's got a long way to go still. Um, and I, I, it doesn't reflect well if we keep belaboring it because
0: we have our guy and he still has a long way to go in Chestnut Hill. That's true. I guess we can get into the three things right now because my first one is obviously Ian Book is playing the best football of his life. But sort of on that note where our evaluations with quarterbacks hasn't been great, oddly enough, Mike Sanford, The old OC, he was the one who basically poached Book from Washington State, which is even weirder to think back now because, like, the criticisms of Book is, you know, he can't throw the ball downfield and he was committed to play for Mike Leach, where literally all he would do is pass. He ends up coming to Notre Dame, very under recruited. And, and, you know, he's been there for three years or he's been the starter for three years. And when you're out there that long, you just, I think people just get bored of it. And, there's been a lot of conversations in the past that Brian Kelly hasn't been able to develop quarterbacks. There's been some instances where you could say that that's true, but, I mean, Ian has just really turned it on, not just these past two weeks, but but really these last four games. A hundred percent. He's fortunately playing
1: the best football of his life right now, as it seems that the receivers are really stepping up as well. Um, And and that can only bode well as we go into this stretch run here. And uh, probably reflects a little bit of the lack of a spring and summer. Just the chemistry wasn't really there. It took some time to develop it. And here we are um, looking like this
0: offense is, is really starting to roll. Yeah, the offense is really getting going. In the last four games, Book's thrown eight TDs, zero picks. He's completed 18 passes of 20 or more yards. He also has 238 total rushing yards. And I feel like Ian Book as a runner, we now have a really good stable of running backs. And I would still say that Ian is consistently the second best runner on the entire team.
1: Yeah, it's really wild. Probably our most efficient runner by far, um, but just such a uh, uh, you know a, a great aspect that he brings to the table and of late the way he's been running in the pocket has not been what he's been faulted for in the past where it's getting happy feet and walking like you know just moving around putting his offensive line in bad spots this has been to help guys get open um, and that's really been promising to see over this last stretch of four games or so
0: yeah and sort of on the topic of, of running backs my second thing I liked is Sebo Flemister that dude Runs hard, like a, a free, yeah. Hard doesn't even do it justice. Reruns like a freight train, and his stats don't pop off the page when you look at the box score. He finished with 10 carries, 53 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, that's good. Um, and he had that 27 yard reception where he just simply refused to go down. He's listed as 5'11, 201 pounds. He doesn't look that big on TV, at least, uh, not in my mind. But he basically runs like Robert Hughes with speed, with like yeah. actual speed and, and shiftiness. He just runs like low to the ground. It's really difficult to bring down. He suffered an injury during the game, which Brian Kelly said after the game didn't appear to be serious, which was really surprising to me because he could barely get off the field when they took him off. But the fact that he's... Really, our our third-string running back, at least based on total carries throughout the season, maybe he's moved to two over Tyree, although Tyree had more carries in this last game. It shows you just how much we've improved at this position in recent years because for a long time, Notre Dame would just be like ho-hum at running back. Maybe you'd have one really good one in Josh Adams, but definitely not multiple guys you can put out there. And Sebo's the number three, and he's super effective, and that's going to be something like that's really important going forward. Absolutely. I mean, just having a stable of running backs is, is such a, you know, a
1: benefit to this group. And I'm really excited to kind of see how that goes goes forward um, as, we, as we move into this last couple of games here. But definitely promising to see that. Love the way he
0: runs the ball. And the last thing I got, Brian Kelly got his 100th win. I didn't even realize that going into the game, he had 99 wins. He was going for the century mark. Uh, but he's now tied with Lou Holtz, second-winningest coach in school history. He trails Newt Rogney by just five games. So after the game, he said 100 wins. I was going to say it felt like 100 years, and honestly, it has. Um, the fact that he's been there so long is pretty insane. I was going to be a freshman in high school. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school when he first started. Yeah, year. I was in eighth grade. So <laughs> Yeah, so he's been there a long time. He's got lots of gray hairs now, but the program is better now than it has been since the early 90s and you know it hasn't always been smooth it's been pretty rocky at times but um, things are really really good right now and at a really good time because I feel like there's more of an attachment with this team than maybe ever before in my lifetime I I mean the 2012 team was really fun 2018 even 2015 too but I guess it's because uh, everything else kind of sucks <laughs> right <laughs> now and Notre Dame football is really really good and I, I don't know I just feel like this is this is a very special year, and SEC, you guys better figure your shit out down there. If this season gets canceled, I don't know what I'll do, but, I mean, this team is just really fun, and it's it's really great to see all these accomplishments and everything that's happened so far.
1: Yeah, couldn't have said it better, um, and it is funny to think back on when Holtz was kind of forced out as he approached Rockney's mark, um, and that was a big narrative because people didn't want him to surpass Rockney. I don't think you're really hearing that with Brian Kelly, which is honestly crazy to think that he could potentially surpass Newt Rockney. Um, He's going to.
0: I mean, he could do it this year we'll,
1: when Notre Dame wins a national championship. <laughs> he should retire right then. Um, it's pretty wild. Um, and hell, if there comes a time where we do win it all and he needs a statue, I, I think we should probably be the ones erecting it. I don't know what you have as the pose in mind, but we should be in charge of that.
0: We should not do any manual labor. We should- Design it. Yeah, we, we can design it. And I've kept receipts of all the people who bashed him pretty consistently. Over the, they can build it. Okay, I'm okay with that. Th- that can be their apology. All right, but we'll we'll just sit there, watch, have a couple of Miller Lights, and just uh, <laughs> just soak it all in. I'm good with that. But what about you? What did you like? The bad boys' of South Bender back. Let me
1: start it <laughs> off with that. Three unsportsmanlike penalties. Absolutely love that. The shit-talking that was going on, it's kind of just a sign of this new Notre Dame. They're playing with the swagger to themselves, undeservedly so. That said, Skironics was incredibly soft. Um,
0: a stare-down should absolutely be allowed. It is allowed. Yeah, these ACC refs are clowns, clowns. I was going to say, at the beginning of the season, after a Notre Dame bye, one of the things I liked was Seth Williams at Auburn. He... Moss, the Kentucky defender. Do you remember when he just basically yep. shoved his helmet too, mm-hmm. and he like flexed on him, held it for multiple seconds, and the ref was staring right at him, and that ref didn't reward the defender for getting just getting mossed. completely dunked on. Yeah, he probably talked shit to him too, which he should. <laughs> he deserved it. I don't know why these ACC refs had it throughout, but I just wanted to interject there.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. um I didn't even see what Hayes and Sibo did, but I love it. Um, also, Kurt Heinisch was chirping Phil the entire game, especially after that botched snap. That stems from a rivalry uh, and a loss in the Pennsylvania State High School playoffs, I, I know. Um, but listen, like they were kind of just letting BC have it. It was a chippy game, and the Superior team uh, got more hits in. I'll put it that way, and, and that was awesome to see. Also, I'm ready to declare Javon McKinley legitimately good, I think. Um, really just kind of a volatile career up and down both on and off the field, but he's kind of peaking at the right time right now. Back to back, great games, making plays, had five catches for 48 yards on Saturday and and just the receivers as a whole are starting to click with book. That's really excellent to see seven receivers had catches on Saturday. Um, Really excited to see what that means for the offense moving forward. And then it seems like there's a chemistry there that that just wasn't there the first couple of games this season, but now is. And, you know, potential that I did not see as recently as like three weeks ago is now there. So go go figure. Um, and finally, how about the genius of Bo Bauer on special teams? Um, Boston College's last ditch onside kick, seen directly at the ground and then bounced up and Bo Bauer astutely calls a fair catch, which I didn't even realize you could do, Uh, but kudos to him for having the presence of mind to do that, and and kudos to Brian Pullian and and staff for making him aware of that rule, because uh, we've kind of gotten bailed out on a couple onside kicks this year with illegal blocks, um, that, um, but... That was uh that was really a, a heads up play by Bo Bauer, so so shout out to him. He also beat the shit out of a guy on a kickoff. Him and Jordan Patello were just running train on this kickoff. Um so playing with an edge, I think that goes back to all the shit talking to, but it's really great to see.
0: Is there a more improved player, at least on the defensive side of the ball, than Bo Bauer this season? That's a good question. Um I feel like on the team overall you'd say Kyron Williams obviously mm, but on the right. defensive side uh, Bo Bauer came in he was pretty high recruit and he came to Notre Dame and was pretty much a, a special teams mainstay but it was extremely erratic I guess a little bit over emotional um and it caused some problems within the game but now he just looks so much more relaxed out there and he's been a huge factor this season and he's still doing it on special teams too which is cool like I love yeah. when starters contribute on special teams absolutely um I think that's a good point and I'm not going to argue with that. He
1: very well may be the most improved player on that defense. All right, what didn't you like? So, speaking of that defense, uh, Kyle Hamilton dropped a surefire pick six. uh, At the start of the fourth quarter, Irish are up 45-23. Hamilton jumps the route, and he just saw the end zone ahead of him and dropped the ball. Um, Really would have been an exclamation point on this whole Phil Dracovic narrative. He also had a pick called back on a really ticky tacky penalty that I didn't even really see. Uh, but we, we need a Hamilton touchdown before this season ends. It just isn't right. Um, I, and now I guess he doesn't even have a pick, technically. We need one of those. We need a touchdown because that man needs to be in the end zone. Uh, that would have been awesome to pretty much 30 piece Boston College. But what are you going to do? Um, more serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knew? More seriously, uh, we learned this morning that Jarrett Patterson will be out for the rest of the season with a foot injury um, apparently suffered early in Saturday's game. He did play that entire game. So, uh, kudos to him for, for toughing it out, but that's definitely a big loss. No, no two ways about it. Um, he was really kind of having an an all American type year on the best line in the country. And it'll be interesting to see how that group responds. Um, it's, it's likely that Zeke Carell, who's a, a former top 100 recruit will take over the role. Um, could be Josh Lug. We'll, we'll have to see. I, if it had to happen, I guess it's not the worst timing. They can sort this out over the bye week, get him comfortable with Book a little bit. But, um, you know, that that Joe Moore Award, you know, probably front runner right now has got to figure it out with one of their best pieces, um, one of the most highly graded linemen in the country. So, interesting to see how that shakes out.
0: Yeah, the Josh Lug aspect of this is interesting because, uh, first of all, he's huge. He's like 6'7", 3'10", and plays tackle but apparently he can play center too. I don't know if that's going to be the move. He actually came in uh in that Boston College game to replace Robert Heinsey who had a, an ankle mm-hmm. injury. He's going to be fine, I guess. But so he was getting some reps in there. Uh I don't know. I feel like the the feasibility of having a 6-7 center with a 6-foot quarterback <laughs> might be a little bit hard, but I I don't know. But that'll be interesting to watch. Um, yeah,
1: I did not realize he was that big. Damn. Massive. <laughs> wow. Um, and finally, and I mean, you already touched on this, but like, just quite frankly, like it sucks. we have to wait two, two weeks to watch these guys play because they're just so much fun. Um, you know, as you said, so much in this world sucks right now. And, and people are just more attached to this team than ever before. And they keep on delivering, you know, they get a much deserved break here, but, uh, I can't wait to see them play again and, and see them beat the hell out of Carolina the day after Thanksgiving.
0: I know. What are we going to do on Saturday? It sucks. Um,
1: yeah, I got to figure it, find out some new hobbies.
0: Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I need to get a life or yeah. something like that. Yeah, maybe. All right, uh, the three things I didn't like, well, the three fumbles, for starters.
1: Yeah, we have a ball security
0: issue. Yeah, it's sort of been something that we all kind of noticed. It was like a quiet thing. Like, these fumbles were happening, but never really at at critical junctures in the game. But then this week, it's it was a real problem. It, it almost kept Boston College in this game. I said last week... Uh, in the game preview. The only way Boston College could stay in this game is if they forced turnovers, and they did, but they didn't even necessarily force them. I mean, the the book Tyree thing, that was just yeah, a, a misread. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was really strange and very bad timing. If, if Notre Dame is up a touch on there, they're down 14-3, to three and, and BC has all this momentum. Now, I still think Notre Dame wins because it was clear on the field. They were the far superior team, but still, you can't, can't be doing that, especially against a team like North Carolina coming up who can score at will. BC came to this game fifth in the country in takeaways, so uh, give credit to them. It's something they're good at, but that Kyron Williams fumble was was far too predictable. I was in a room with um, Trevor Scales. He does some on-air stuff for ESPN Digital. He played running back at, at Harvard, and he yelled, tuck the ball away before it even happened. Like As soon as he caught the ball and turned upfield, he was already saying, tuck it away because he's just letting it hang out there. Love franchise but the fumbles are a real problem and i know that he sat for most of the second half because of a shoulder injury but i i'd have to imagine the the fumbles was part of that too
1: yeah it, it very well could have been and you know i still think the Steronic fumble was a little bit fluky like yeah. he just has no idea the guy's there the jack kaiser fumble on the pick <laughs> also happened thank you we, we got, got that had one four. back yeah um but, yeah, got to sort that out. I mean, you do that against North Carolina, it, it might be a different story. So
0: I will say one thing about when Autry Dunson was a running backs coach, Notre Dame's running backs Didn't fumble. never fumbled. Like I think they no. set a, a school record for like most rushing attempts without a fumble. And, yeah. I mean, I'm, that's just one aspect. But it's just something um, that I noticed. And, okay, so I mentioned this before. I like the fact that Notre Dame is talking trash. But these officials throwing these flags, why are they throwing these flags in the first place? They got to go in the after the ACC refs, just despicable performance against Clemson. Well, hey, that was their number one crew, so that's great. That's their number one. That's the best they could yep. put out there. Yep. Also, ACC, best conference in football minus the refs. Yeah, well, don't be crazy. I'm not <laughs> saying that. Okay. All right. So that was one thing. And lastly, I like Todd Blackledge and Sean McDonough uh, as a broadcast crew, and I understand the Phil Dracovic was the main storyline in this game but that is literally all they talked about in, in the first half and I did appreciate the part where they mentioned like Ian Book's tweet I, I had completely forgotten that he tweeted uh so the circle got smaller like the day that Phil announced he was transferring and yeah I liked that they added that insight there that you know Phil reached out to him and Ian said oh it was just a coincidence yeah, I'm not buying that. Ink filled in either. He said, I don't believe that. And and I don't I think Ian just said that to save face, but it just persisted throughout the first half and it, and it got to the point where he was like completely overboard. And then how about Ryan Rosillo joking about it and side note, how did he know about the parking problem in South Bend? Yeah. That was the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Here, let me pull up the hold on, let me pull up the actual tweet. It was too good to not share, he quote fourth quarter NDBC. ND leads 35-31. BC possession, fourth and goal third ND1. And he jokingly quoted the commentators. And Jurkovic was really upset that he had points left at his meal plan at Notre Dame. That in student parking was always an issue. Kind of weird that uh, like a national... He knows. Yeah, he knows. So we'll have to get
1: him on. Because that is the number one issue on campus. So um, I've been trying to address it for years to no avail. Um, I had a Way too much money and parking fines. Almost did get my degree as a result of it, but that's a story for another pod. Um, <laughs> wait, all that? Yeah. No, it's not. It's a
0: story for this one. How many did you have? <laughs> like twenty-seven. You had twenty-seven. <laughs> Where were you parking? Were you doing the legends thing? Were you parking the legends lot before, like uh, to go to class?
1: No. Well, some days, but. Um, no, I didn't buy a permit my senior year and so I would just go in the guest lot and get one of the free parking things every day and then I would just sit there all day and I guess those were only good for 2 hours so I just claimed I'd, I claimed ignorance, feigned ignorance. Um and
0: I feel like ignorance works after like 3, maybe not no, 20. No.
1: All 27 went away. So even though it should have been like thousands of dollars in, in parking fines, but well, maybe not them. It was a lot, um, but they went away. I feel like I had a decent. amount. But they gave me like an email like four days before graduation. Like, hey, if you don't address these, like you're not getting your diploma. I'm like, oh, yes, I guess I got to get on this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> didn't didn't Ronnie Stanley like not because he was like that's not why he wasn't a captain. captain because he had yeah. too many parking tickets.
1: Yeah. So listen. All we ask for is to figure out the damn parking situation. Like, Jenkins, if there's one thing out there, I know you got the whole vote of no confidence going on, but if you uh, you figure out the student parking, uh, trust me, you won't hear another word from the student
0: body. <laughs> that should be priorities number one, two, and three, not trying to get through the semester with COVID, but yeah. that's yeah. all I got in the BC game. You got anything else?
1: No. Uh, great Irish win, great cover, and uh, excited to uh, play
0: UNC in two weeks. All right, before we get to the interview, friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. We appreciate all the feedback we received. The Clemson recap with Stanford Steve was our most listened to show yet, and we hope to continue building on that with your help. So thanks to those of you who have helped get the word out about us and tune in each week. We really appreciate it. All right, now let's get to Chris Fink. Okay, our next guest is a proud member of Wapu Nation. He's a former Notre Dame captain and current wide receiver on the San Francisco 49ers. It's Chris Fink. So what's going on, Chris? What's up with you?
2: Hey, Tyler. Hey, Luke. How are
0: you guys doing? Doing all right. Yeah, doing doing pretty well. So as I was preparing for this interview, I checked out your uh, high school highlight tape on Huddle, and I couldn't help but laugh at all the dudes you made miss on Punt Return. It's basically just seven minutes of you running all over the field and dudes on Punt Coverage chasing after you because you guys mostly ran the triple option at Alter. And I'd read before that the first time you met Brian Kelly was when BK came to your school to check out Nick Coleman. So what was your recruitment like before that point and how did it change once you were introduced to Kelly?
2: Yeah. um, You really did your research, but uh, (laughs) yeah, my high school team, we didn't pass very often ran the triple option. So me and uh, our tight end, my senior year led the team with 10 catches each um, in 15 games. So um, I pretty much had to do all my work on punt return and try to get some attention there from college coaches and, um, the recruitment I got was sporadic. You know, there would be D3 schools who would come in and, and talk to me. And a um, couple of things with Ivy League schools that fell through. And then I ended up getting some uh, walk-on offers because I had a few teammates, including Nick Coleman, who were getting scholarship offers. And coaches would come to school and see them. And uh, my high school coach would tell them about me. And um, so Notre Dame was one of those schools. And, I mean, pretty hard to pass up playing football at Notre Dame, I was of the mindset that I, did, I didn't want to go to just any school to just to play football, you know, because um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to play football at that point. Um, I, w- I would have rather have gone to a school that I would go to without football than, you know, um, one of the you know D3 schools that was coming in to talk to me that I didn't really have any interest in outside the fact that they wanted me to play football for them. So when uh, Coach Kelly came to school to see Nick and I was introduced to him, uh, he told me I, I could walk on, and, I mean, you know, the rest is kind of history. It's, it's like I said, it's pretty hard to not go play football in Notre Dame when you get the opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now a friend of yours told us that you have what, what he described as a mental grudge list of people that told you you weren't good enough or, or were too small. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to out anybody specifically. However, um, how much did all that naysaying drive you to, to get you to where you are today?
2: Yeah. Um, so the list is real. Um, it's it's just a list on my notes app in my phone. And it started out with just kind of back home when I had decided I was going to walk on at Notre Dame. And there were some people that I knew. One was a, a distant relative of mine at a family reunion. Um, he just came up to me and said, so you're going to go play football at Notre Dame, huh? I'm like, yeah. He said, nah, you're too small. You'll get killed. And so that, that was the first one on the list. And Um, just kind of wrote that down and made a mental note of it and anything else that came up like that as well I would I would keep track of and um, if I ever found myself getting complacent I'd take a look at that and uh, just remember the feeling of you know how mad it would make me when someone would you know for no reason you know what there's no point in telling someone you don't think they'll succeed at their dreams you know so just irritated me a little bit and I would keep keep a list and refer to it every once in a while when I felt I needed a little motivation.
0: So we're big supporters of Wapu Nation. We even had a couple of former presidents on um in Logan Plants and Sam Bush. So once you got to Notre Dame, you, you know, you take that preferred walk-on spot and you just become a member of Wapu Nation. So what was that like? And what did it mean to you at the beginning?
2: Yeah, so I didn't um know exactly what Wapu Nation was when I decided to walk on. It's kind of this thing I, I got there and found out about. But, I mean, it's a really tight-knit group of guys. Everybody is of the same mindset, Um, you know, walk-ons have to work just as hard as everybody else. They got to, you know, do the same classes, same workouts, same practice and everything without the really the promise or expectation of any playing time or at paying off, you know, on the field on a Saturday. So um, everybody, you know, has that mindset and it's a good group of guys. We got group chat, crack a lot of jokes in there. And uh, it's, you know, one of the things I'm proudest of is to be a part of that group.
1: Now, you are a part of a very exclusive subset of that group, and that you eventually earned a scholarship. And it, and it didn't take very long either. You got it after just one full season. So I got to ask were you surprised when that happened? I mean, how could you describe your emotions once you found out?
2: Oh, crazy weekend and day when I got my scholarship. I, my personal goal was to get on scholarship by junior year. I figured I'd be a freshman, they wouldn't play me, I'd redshirt. And then I thought sophomore year, maybe I could get a little bit of special teams action, improve myself, and then junior year, um, you know, reap the benefits. But it was the end of camp of my sophomore year when I got it. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but that weekend we had a lot of guys getting some trouble.
1: I did. There
2: was like six guys, I think. The Fulton County there. Six. <laughs> yeah. So there were there were six guys who got arrested that weekend that was the last weekend of camp right before school started and the day after that we had our last practice at camp and I kind of figured you know school's about to start if I was going to be put on scholarship now and I thought leading up to that time I thought maybe I would get one because I had been having a good camp and I had a good spring ball and all that but um, it got to that point where I thought you know school's starting tomorrow so I'm not going to be put on scholarship now and uh, we had something go down with one of our players where he was upset and gotten like a argument with coach and basically coach when he was announcing my scholarship framed it like that we were losing somebody. And he meant it like Wapu nation is losing somebody to scholarship nation is how he phrased it. When he's talking about, we're losing somebody I'm like, Oh my gosh, another guy like got in trouble. Another guy is like quitting the team or something like that. Like this is just the worst weekend of all time. And then, he brought up Jesse Bon Jovi to start talking. I'm like, this is weird. Why would Jesse be talking about someone leaving the team or getting in trouble? And then all of a sudden he just said my name and I got a scholarship and the guys swarmed around me and it was it was pretty surreal.
0: As a walk-on, do you guys like keep track of what schol- like how many scholarships are available? Is it sort of like a unspoken competition, I guess?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So coming in when I was a freshman, they kind of had the tradition of, one walk-on a year at least would get a scholarship um and they held that up for my freshman year my sophomore year and my junior year but then there were a couple of years after that where it didn't happen um so coming in there were five preferred walk-ons in my class and so i think everyone in the back of our minds is kind of looking looking around at the group thinking like you know i want to be the one guy out of the five who one of these years gets a scholarship um and one of my buddies there were five preferred there were a lot more after that that came for school um but preferred in the summer there were five of us and one of my really good friends Jimmy Thompson he was like religiously following the scholarship chart like would tell me in the spring you know we got this many scholarships open we got this many kids coming in or we're going to be that too many people too many scholarships over the limit and so and so you know we're going to have to get rid of some guys somehow it always worked out but um, you definitely keep an eye on it and it's something you think about in the back of your mind, whether you're vocalizing it to everybody else or not. Oh, an- another thing I forgot to mention about, uh, when you guys were asked about like the day I got my scholarship. So bleacher report was working for us that year. I don't know if you remember that they were making yeah. like, I'm like sick edits on Twitter and stuff. Oh, which yeah. were, you know, th- the edits would have been a lot sticker if we weren't four and eight, but, um, <laughs> Je- jesse bon jovi told me that they had something like ridiculous planned for when i got my scholarship that the school said no to they were gonna fly a plane over top of campus and have a dude skydive onto our practice field <laughs> and hand me an envelope and they were just like no report. we're not gonna do that wow Damn.
0: are you like disappointed i mean i feel like i don't know how you would react in that kind of situation like that kind of attention might be a little too much
2: yeah i'm No, I wouldn't say disappointed. Um, but I would just thinking about like the confusion that I would have had, it would, I mean, it would have been unmatched It probably the most confused I've ever been in my life.
1: Yeah. I can imagine. Like (laughs) a
2: skydiver went on practice field number one. And then the dude like runs up to me. I'd be like, what is happening right now?
0: And what if it doesn't go well? Like that he does the landing and then there's this guy like in serious pain like uh, (laughs) probably why they said no wrong
2: point and he's just like
0: the wrong guy
1: they give up to the wrong guy he just ends up on our lotta yeah
0: yeah he's at the he's at those the turf fields in the back (laughs) that's good that had been hilarious (laughs) and you know once you got your scholarship you made an impact in the field pretty quickly like in 2016 you started playing but later on is when you really started seeing a lot of action in 2018 I mean you made one of the best plays of the season uh in the season opener against Michigan that happened like right in front of me when you went up and moshed two defenders I was going crazy but what was more impressive to you the catch or your celebration afterwards
2: (laughs) um celebration admittedly it was all for my my little brother who's just as weird as I am and uh, we were in New York City visiting my oldest sister Alex, and he just was looking at the pigeons and started walking like how they were walking with the head bob and the weird steps and everything. And leading up this season, you know, I was on the phone with him, and he's like, "Hey, man, you get in the end zone, you gotta you gotta start walking like a pigeon for me." And I think he honestly forgot about it until it happened, and I did it, and it was pretty cool because he was actually filming he was planning on filming like the whole game just in case anything cool happened. Um, and his phone was on like 1%. He did, he didn't plan out very well. He didn't have a lot of battery going into the <laughs> first quarter or second quarter whenever whatever it happened, but his phone was on like 1%. And that was like one of the last plays he got on, on camera. So he has that on his phone. Um, and that's, that was fun for me to watch to see him going crazy for me. Cause you know, he's, he's one of my best friends and I love him so much, but yeah, it was pretty fun.
1: There you have it. I mean, honestly, impressive to have the, the presence of mind in that emotional moment to remember to do that. But no, that, now we all know what that means. That's great. Um, obviously, that whole 2018 regular season was incredible. And going into that last game of the season at USC, you guys win, you're in the playoff. But that entire first half, you're down, and I know I was certainly very nervous walking around the Coliseum. I think most Notre Dame fans were, but you really had it going, um, especially in that half. Kind of kept us in the game a little bit, put us on the board with your touchdown catch in the corner right before the half. What was working for you so well in that USC game?
2: Um, yeah, like you said, we we were down and playing from behind, and um, I think we did a really good job of not getting nervous. Like I, I know that. Now watching the games, not being on the team, I get how the, the fan mindset a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. not knowing what's going to happen. But on the sidelines, I think everybody the whole time was like, all right, you know, we're going to win this game. It's just a matter of how. But, um, yeah, so that was – for me in that game, I, I was having a good time. The way they were, they were playing me in coverage was like my favorite way to get played. They just had like a nickel playing like 10 yards off of me, and he was kind of in a hurry to – go cover anything I was gonna run. So just hit him with a couple double moves, couple of one twos, whatever, get him get him backing up and just have some separation. And Ian was hitting me, you know, a few times here and there and we were able to get a couple drives going um to get us back in the game to start and then finish it off in the second half. So that one, uh that one was a really fun game. And to this day, the touchdown Tony Jones scored to Finish it off and get us in the playoff is like my favorite play that I've ever been on a field for. And like I'll, I'll go back and watch it, and you get the wide view and just watch the whole sideline go nuts, and you know realize that we won it. It's it's pretty
0: special. Yeah, that was a special game and really a special season. And even though it didn't end the way you wanted to, you opted to come back for a fifth year, and we're elected captain. So going from being a walk on to earning a scholarship to being selected as a captain, like that is incredible in and of itself. But what did it mean to you? to be a captain at Notre Dame, um, especially during your fifth year?
2: It meant a lot. I mean, it just had me pinching myself, you know, from being in high school and not even thinking I would even play football in college, and then all of a sudden I'm at Notre Dame. Like, that's already like, wow, like, how am I even here? And then getting a scholarship was another instance instance of that. And captain was like the biggest one. You know, you think about some of the people who have been captain at Notre Dame, and um, it's really humbling to be you know, mentioned in the same sentence as some of those guys and, and be a part of that group of captains who have been, you know, leading the the football team since however long we've been playing, whatever it's forever. But it, it just meant a lot to me that my teammates and my coaches thought that uh, I was up for the job.
0: I was reading before, too, that you're also a SWAT team captain. And like, basically, there were eight of those. And then seven out of the eight became captains, with the lone one being Liam Eikenberg, who is now a captain. So what What is SWAT and and what does being a captain of a SWAT team entail?
2: Yeah, so SWAT teams are something that Coach Bayless implemented when he got to school. And it stands for spring or summer workout accountability team. Um, So basically what it is, it's, yeah, there's like seven or eight teams. Each has a captain. and We have like a a snake draft. before we start spring workouts where they just have everybody in the auditorium. We're just picking people for our teams and you win and lose points based on how you perform in the weight room, during conditioning, during drills. And then you can lose points for academics and discipline, stuff like that. And the way it started out at the beginning was the last place team would have to pay the man is what Bayless said. You, you owed debts that you had to pay the man and he was the man. And you'd have to come in Wednesday before anybody worked out like the earliest workout was at like five 45. So the losing team would have to come in before that and do a workout that was pretty hard on its own and then work out again afterwards. And then eventually we got to the point where everyone was really bought into the system and the losing team was kind of getting punished without deserving it. You know, they were, they were on top of their stuff, but they just happened to not have the most, have the least points that week. So they switched it so that, uh, instead of the last place team having to do an extra workout, there was just like a point threshold that you had to meet to not do extra workouts. So um, by the time I left, you know, pretty much every week everyone was meeting the threshold. Um, that's just a testament to Bayless's system and how he's gotten guys to buy in and, and the system of accountability that's really paid dividends for our program.
1: Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask, At last year's end-of-season banquet, you were asked about the offensive coordinator vacancy at the time, and and you explained a little bit the qualities that make a good coach. And you said, I think we probably have someone on the staff now that would be pretty good for it. You can guess who I'm talking about. Obviously, you're referring to current offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. So from your perspective, what is it about him that makes him such a good fit for the job, and and why has he experienced so much success during this first year on the job?
2: Yeah, so, you know, obviously – I look pretty good for saying that back then. He's doing real well now, <laughs> but uh, I mean, all credit to Tommy there. He, he has what it takes and um, what I thought it was when I said that and what I still think it is now is he is the perfect balance that most players would want in a coach. And what I mean by that is, you know, he, he is, he's a younger guy, so you can relate to him pretty well. And he's cool with guys. He understands them. He talks to them, you know, like normal people. There's not this weird, like authoritarian thing going on but that just means when he is yelling at you and when he's getting on top of you it means that much more it's like it's kind of like if you have a friend that you respect a lot and you know he he yells at you for something you know he gets mad at you some try to hold you accountable you're like oh man like this guy's opinion means a lot to me like I I gotta do what he's saying and obviously he's very knowledgeable football wise and um he had the experience playing quarterback here at Notre Dame and he was in the uh NFL for a little bit and then coaching the NFL for a little bit. So um, I just think he has, you know, all the things that it takes to be successful and he's doing it. He's proven it.
0: Yeah. On that note, I want to talk about this year's team a little bit more. You've obviously spent a lot of time with the current receivers and they've really started to thrive in recent weeks after they were subject to a lot of criticism at the beginning of the year. So what have you noticed about their development as the year has gone on that maybe fans like Luke and I who never played wouldn't recognize?
2: Yeah, so um, they definitely did get some criticism at the, at the beginning, and um, that's probably tough on a young group. You know, they they have, uh, you know, Javon is fifth year and Skironik's a fifth year as well, but, um, you know, they don't really have anybody who's had, like, a couple solid years of experience. Um, so they, it took a little bit for them to find their way, but I think what they've done a really good job of is – Obviously, number one, just like stepping up and making plays. You've seen guys doing that in the last couple of weeks in particular. And I think they've done a really good job of adjusting because, you know, they've had injuries. They've had Skoranek went down early in the season. Um, you know, Lindsay's had the hamstring. Keys has got the concussion. Um, Avery has been playing every position on the team. And now he's, you know, stepping up in the starting slot role. So, the little things that go with that, with, you know, guys getting hurt and pieces getting moved around is that guys are asked to do different things that they have not been asked to do before. So, you know, one receiver goes down, now we got to go more 12 personnel and maybe a guy who's playing on the slot just because he is, you know, an older guy who knows the playbook better or something like that needs to go and play outside, which is not something he's used to. And then, you know, at the beginning of the season, they have Lindsey, they try, they're trying to involve him a whole lot more. And, you know, the year before he had been, you know, like the post route guy, the jet sweep guy. And there's just, it just takes time when people are asked to do things that they haven't done before. And I think that they've done a really good job of figuring that out, figuring out what works and making plays in those positions that the coaches are putting them in um, when it
1: matters. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one last question before we get into some rapid fire. Ian Book has been playing lights out the past couple of weeks, might be playing the best football of his career right now. But, but what has impressed you the most about him throughout his career at Notre Dame?
2: Um, I just think that his consistency has been so impressive. when there's a couple of different, different levels to that. So there's like the day-to-day consistency that he has where he just shows up and does his work and is the same guy every day. And then, you know, on game day, he, he's never in the whole time I've known him gotten too high or too low. You know, we've had some really exciting games. We've had some really disappointing games. And in those games, we've had some ups and downs, and he's always the same guy. And then just taking that out on a broader spectrum, he's been playing – at Notre Dame for what feels like a really, really long time. And he's been the same guy the entire time, you know, he just goes out, does his job and wins. I mean, what's his record now, like 28 and three. Um, So, I I mean, that is just what I think is the most impressive thing about
0: him. All right. Well, it's your off day. So this has been really good. So we'll wrap it up with a couple of rapid fire questions. First one, what hair product do you use? (laughs) water, just water, no shampoo, Just water, (laughs) <laughs> no, Well, yeah, shampoo. <laughs> okay.
1: All right, where does the nickname Slippery Fox come from?
2: Um, That's a high school nickname. We had a group of six senior defensive backs. We called ourselves the Blue Angels. Um, we just gave each other some stupid nicknames one day, sitting there goofing around at camp. So uh, Nick Coleman was in it. He was alpha because he was the best one of us. We wanted to call ourselves Nick Coleman and the boys, but he he was against it. Um, and then the other ones were uh ghost cat paperboy candyman uh and grease. I think I covered them all,
0: yeah, okay, who's the best quarterback you've ever faced on any level
2: um honestly, I'd probably go with uh Richard Sherman just the other day. It was the first time I lined up against him in practice he's been hurt and he got cleared to practice and uh, I don't know like how, how tall do you guys think he is?
0: Six one. Yeah. Okay. Right I here. thought
2: he was like 5'11. And I'm sitting there lined up outside, like looking at the ball, making sure I'm aligned, and then I like look across from me. He's six foot three, and his waist is like as high as my head while I'm in my stance. <laughs> He's <is> just enormous. <laughs> and uh very skilled as well. So I've got some learning to do and some some uh, improvement to do.
0: How did that go? Did you beat him?
2: I did not, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hard to argue with that one. And then, I guess lastly, what was the weirdest thing you saw or encountered during a night out in South End? Oh, man. I mean, there's plenty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> one that comes to mind right off the bat, which may not be the weirdest after I think about it after the after we're done here, but I was in line for uh, getting into CJ's. And this guy, like definitely not a student, a little older, just like – you know, the line starts clearing out, like, right and left. Part and like, the Red Sea is this guy just gets tossed by the security guys. Um, while And he's got a cigarette in his mouth while he's getting tossed. And he ends up, like, basically on the street, like, got thrown so far. And everybody's just kind of looking at him. It's silent. He's laying back, takes a cigarette out of his mouth, puffs it, and just goes, for why? <laughs> I mean, I started laughing so hard. Like, obviously, it's because you were smoking in the bar. Or, you know, he's a drunk idiot. But, I mean – that one that one was one of the weirder things I've seen.
0: Yeah, that's pretty weird, but honestly seems like kind of par for the course, especially around that part of town. But Chris, has been great. We really appreciate you coming on. For everyone listening, follow him on Instagram and Twitter at SlipperyFox10 and cheer on the 49ers for the rest of the season. Have a good one, man.
2: Appreciate it. Thanks,
0: guys. Okay, and that's a wrap with Chris Fink. Luke, you got any final thoughts coming out of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, as we were talking to him there, I was thinking like, man, the university really should have let a leisure report go ahead with that whole parachute thing. But now that I think about it, um, pretty clear why they didn't. It seems like a serious uh, liability issue. <laughs> so I think I understand, but awesome interview.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love the, the videos of guys getting their scholarships. It's always really cool. Sometimes it's a little bit over the top. I mean, I'm all for it, but sometimes I'm like, okay, that that was a little bit too much. So I think skydiving in would be crazy, but I honestly completely forgot that Bleach Report did that thing that year where they, they followed the team the whole time and they went four and eight. Yeah. Well it was the showtime? Yes. In twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. And you brought up like, wow, it really would have been something
1: if the guy had just like absolutely failed the dive and like the parachute. But like honestly, maybe that would have been great if that happened. Like would have been a pretty good metaphor for that nose dive of a season. <laughs>
0: yeah that was uh man that was it it seems so like so far in the distant past now because of where Notre Dame is but if you would have told me at the end of the 2016 season that Notre Dame would be in this position right right now and I was like the biggest defender of keeping Kelly in that case I I would not believe that for one second no definitely not Nope, but no Dame is 8 No, They play next Friday against North Carolina, as I mentioned earlier on the pod. Uh, we'll be doing our game preview on Tuesday of next week, right before Thanksgiving. And, uh, yeah, might have a recruiting update. We'll see who we get as a guest. But until then, we'll talk to you.